Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Jason, and this is the Film Ruminations podcast. I am here with you today to talk about a double feature. This will be actually be a triple feature, uh, but a double feature from Grindhouse Releasing. There are two releases of theirs that I feel warrant a combination into one episode. So the two films that we'll be talking about today are two very peculiar films that are on the harsher side of Grindhouse Releasing's um, catalog. The first one that I want to talk to you about today is a film that in some areas was released as Make Them Die Slowly. In other places, it's called Cannibal Ferox. Cannibal Ferox assaults your senses as a group of Americans lost in the jungles of Amazonia experience brutal retributions at the hands of blood-crazed cannibals. Shot on location in the savage Amazon wilds of South America, Cannibal Ferox is one of the most violent and shocking films ever made. There are at least two dozen scenes of barbaric torture and sadistic cruelty graphically shown if the presentation of disgusting and repulsive subject matter upsets you, please do not view this film. The special features on the Grindhouse release, you have the original unrated, uncensored director's cut, which is a brand new 2K scan from the original camera negative. 
There is shocking deleted footage lost for over 30 years. There's two scenes. There's a breathtaking digital stereo remix by Academy Award winner Paul Ottoson, an optional Italian language soundtrack and original mono mix. There's a candid and shocking audio commentary by director Umberto Lenzi and star John Morgan. Uh, provocative in-depth interviews with uh, the director, Lenzi, stars Giovanni Lamberto Redis, Danilo Matai, and Zora Caroa, and special effects master Gino De Rossi. There is a feature-length documentary called Eaten Alive, The Rise and Fall of Italian Cannibal Films, which uh, contains interviews with uh, Umberto Lenzi, Ruggero Deodato, Sergio Martino, Giovanni Lamberto Redis, and Robert Kerman. There's original Italian and German and U.S. theatrical trailers, an extensive gallery of stills and poster art, liner notes by legendary 42nd Street historian Bill Landis and Eli Roth. There's also a bonus CD with the original soundtrack album by Buddy Maglione, newly remastered in stunning 24-bit 96 hertz sound from the original master tapes and other surprises. If I've mentioned in the past that Grindhouse goes above and beyond to release these films. I lost my breath several times when reading through the special features on this. It's a absolutely jam-packed release of one of the most depraved and disturbing films I have ever seen. This is one that I struggle to watch a second uh, time. I watched it mostly, paid attention through it before recording this, just to refresh my memory and it is almost too over the top, almost too awful. Um, not in quality, it's very well made, but it's awful in that sense of leaving you feeling icky and needing a shower and, and generally uncomfortable watching it. Some of the torture moments are awful. Just, again, over the top. It will make you absolutely squeamish to the point in which you would if you are watching it because I'm telling you about it right now, you might never want to talk to me again. That's how unsettling this film is. It's, again, very well made. This was um, from 1981. It's, I guess, we need to take a moment here. If you're not familiar with Italian cannibal films, one of two things. You are a much better person than I am. And you typically watch fair, more becoming of your general audience or you've just gone out of your way to ignore this as a actual horror genre. The Italian cannibal films, I believe it was 1972 when the first Italian cannibal film, I've searched Italian cannibal film so many times that when I type Italian on my phone, the first thing that comes up in the suggestion is cannibal, just as an idea of how frequently I search it, mostly recently for, for this episode, but I think I've maybe seen all too many of these. Anyways, um, it was started in the 70s by Umberto Lenzi in a film called Man from Deep River. He was not entirely sure he ever wanted to return to the genre uh, until he ended up making Cannibal Ferrex or again, make them die slowly. However, it's the next film that we're going to talk about that changed the Italian cannibal uh, genre for all time. Anyways, in these films, typically what you're going to have is a group of white people. Some of them might be a scientist. You might have a journalist. 
Uh, there's typically a guide that joins them, uh, and they just go. In the case of Cannibal Ferox, they go with a PhD student who is writing a dissertation that cannibals, cannibalism is not a real thing. And in order to prove this, she's going into the deep Amazonian jungle to meet with these forgotten tribes and just see with her own eyes that it's not a real thing. And it wouldn't be Italian cannibal. It would be called Italian uh, docu-journalism if it was not actually a situation in which they ate people. There is an incredible amount of eating of people, not actual people in this case, just typically pig parts. There are several moments of horrific animal torture, which is a tool that they used in cannibal films to try and ramp up the realism um, of the cannibal attacks that would be coming in the future. So if you as a viewer see them pull an animal that you clearly is real, because this is before you would be taking an animatronic or even you, before you would even consider computer-generated animal into this, it's moving, it's wiggling, it does not want to be caught or captured, and you're seeing the actors slaughter the animals, and it's very unsettling, and I personally don't care for that at all. Actually, I despise seeing that. Uh, even when the animal torture is in a, a fancier film like uh, Apocalypse Now or Andrei Rublev, it takes away a little bit from the film that I just don't care for, and it, it makes it very difficult for me to try and convince anybody to want to watch a film like this. And, and I believe that it's not a difficult thing to understand when it will absolutely take you out of the film. You would probably want to stop it. If that affects you in, as it does me, it would probably affect you more. But clearly, I mean, I still watch the films, but it, that might turn you off right away, which is kind of interesting uh, on a side when you think about it, the fact that you would be comfortable watching a movie uh, when they are simulating the consumption of people. However, as soon as they start to hurt an animal, you might turn it off. That's just kind of weird. It's understandable. But when you really think about that, that fine line, what's that fine line? Um, anyways, that is a common, common occurrence in uh, Italian cannibal films. So that might turn you off completely. And that is fine. And nobody uh, will ever tell you uh, that you're wrong. Anyways, so Umberto Lenzi makes uh, the film that creates the genre, doesn't want to come in, is given a script or an idea, doesn't want to do it. So they get what is often called the most controversial film of all time. It is often called the one that goes all the way. This, my friends, is Rogero Deodato's Cannibal Holocaust. Four young and fearless Americans, children of the space age, armed with cameras, microphones, and curiosity. Alan Yates, Faye Daniels, and their two cameramen and inseparable friends, Jack Anders and Martin Damato. Four youngsters who never came back. Are they still alive? And if so, where are they? These are the questions that the rescue team sponsored by New York University and the Pan American Broadcasting System hope to be able to answer.
understand the reason for such wounds. It must have something to do with some of We'll be back. We have Felipe, our guide. Say hi to the camera. Banned and heavily censored the world over. Here is a film that surpasses its reputation as a shotgun blast to the senses. Cannibal Holocaust presents the found footage of a group of four documentary filmmakers who experienced brutal death at the hands of a savage South American tribe of flesh eaters. This footage is so intense, so graphic and unflinching in its realism, that the director and producer of Cannibal Holocaust were arrested upon its original release, and the film was seized. The special features on this disc is a new high-def digital restoration uh, of the original director's cut, a spectacular digital stereo remix of the original mono mix. There is a commentary track with the director and star Robert Kerman and stars Carl York and Francesca uh, Ciardi. I don't know. Uh, new in-depth interviews with Deodato, Francesca, assistant director Salvo Basile, and cameraman Roberto Forage Davazidi, as well as classic interviews with Robert Kerman, Carl York, and Riz Ortolani. Beautiful 24-page booklet uh, containing liner notes by Eli Roth and legendary uh, horror journalist Chaz Ballon, extensive stills galleries and theatrical trailers and other surprises. I still remember the first time that I watched this um, this movie. This would have been, oh man, 20 years ago? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. I was told about this movie that was banned all over the world. This is undoubtedly, I, I don't have it right in front of me, it is undoubtedly on the UK cinema nasties list, and it's banned because it's just over the top grotesque and just too far. And obviously, uh, when you are a young and impressionable and often cited as dumb uh, young man, you seek these out. And I found uh, I actually borrowed a bootleg a VHS for the first time that I watched it, and uh, I watched it alone, and it did not disappoint. Uh, and when it comes to the over-the-top, grotesque, young, very formative young man who doesn't know anything about anything, uh, watching this incredibly disgusting movie, that I went out and I don't remember exactly where it was, but I found a bootleg copy for myself, VHS, um, that I still have. And then when I really started to get back into horror, I decided one day that I really wanted to watch that movie, Cannibal Holocaust, again. Because it's something that never went away. There are images from this film that I can see in my mind without... Uh, going back to the disc without looking it up online, there's a few just incredibly horrific images that just get burned into your brain and you can see them whether or not you want to. And so I decided that I wanted to find and see if it was even available. I mean, this thing is banned everywhere. I don't see how there could possibly be a deluxe Blu-ray release from any company. Then I find this thing called Grindhouse Releasing. This was the release that put them on the map for me. And I ordered it, and I watched it, and 
I'll be honest with you. I was so, so incredibly pleased to find that when you start the Blu-ray, it gives you an option of two different versions. There is the absolute uncut director's cut of the film that you can watch uh, as it was originally presented. Well, as it was eventually presented. Or there is an animal cruelty-free version of the film that you can watch. I chose to watch the animal cruelty-free version because, again, like I had mentioned a little bit ago, that's over the top for me. If I can help it, I don't want to see that. And like I said, it's there's the one that really gets me. And you can probably skip ahead about 20 seconds if you don't want to hear about it. And I understand. And there's a scene in which they catch a turtle. And, well, this in the section I'm talking about animal cruelty. So I don't really need to say anything else other than they catch a turtle. Undoubtedly, if you haven't seen the film, you've seen the most famous image, which would be a woman on a pike. It is grotesque and it is, that's one of those moments that's just in my mind that I can see whether or not I ever want to see it again. That was the cover of the VHS bootleg that I originally saw. So I knew just looking at the cover that I was in for something special. And in many cases, uh, David Otto talks about in the interviews, he had the idea and he would get calls and they would say, hey, maybe go a little bit further. Maybe go a little bit further, you know, maybe impale somebody. And so some of these gags and, and and setups, they didn't even have all the way planned when they trekked out into the Amazon. This actually, I believe it was in Colombia that they filmed it. They didn't really have all the setups planned and they just went ahead and went overboard. Uh, in this film, you have, as it mentions, four documentarians who are going to the Amazon to find cannibals. And if then what happens is... When they get into the Amazon, uh, they find indigenous peoples and they are kind and good and not at all savage beasts that would want to eat people. And these, this group of documentarians are just absolutely devastated that they're not finding that thing that they were expecting to see. So what they decided to do was they decided to create anger and hatred and anguish from these indigenous peoples to make the movie that they want to see, that they're trying to make. To the point in which the the once they're when they're filming they'll they'll correct themselves and say, "Hey, you know, we're filming, make it look a little less, you know, jokey almost." Not not that the scene was jokey, but like the the look on some of the other camera people's faces was not as serious and somber as as the moment warrants. Anyways, as it mentions, the film Cannibal Holocaust is uh, one of the one of the very first actual found footage type films. That, so there's the documentary crew that goes out in the end, anger the indigenous people so much that they do find the they end up finding the cannibals that they're looking for, and they just they're savaged and eaten by. Uh, eventually, another uh, intrepid person finds himself in the Amazon and he finds this footage and he's trying to take it around New York to sell it and get the story out of this cannibalism. And he wasn't even clear if he was going to uh, edit out or remove any of the moments that show the documentarians creating the scenario that they're trying to find themselves. It's He's in the beginning just trying to find a way to distribute the footage that he has located. There's something really unique uh, about a narrative like this in which the documentary crew goes to the Amazon jungle with the implicit uh, biasy that they're going to see the cannibals or something that they're looking for specifically. And they make a decision when this does not happen to create and craft their own narrative to fit their goals. And I feel that is something that we as a 
civilizations see time and time again all around the world where the facts are less important than the story. And we go out of our way to create a story that we can sell, that would give us the the levels of notoriety that we believe that we deserve without any regard to whether we do. I feel that this happens too often today. The idea that um, the, the filmmakers were able to, not the documentary filmmakers, but uh, that Diodato thought that that would be a uh, valid and valuable envelope for getting across his ideas. Propaganda is as old as time, um, trying to create your own story, create your own uh, narrative. And so it's not that it's new here. Uh, it just happens to be a film that is perhaps the most grotesque, um, the one that goes too far and is able to find its way into our culture to reflect the ideas that he had back in in the early 80s when he made it. And this is something you can find in movies uh, wherever you go, where somebody, uh, where a director is trying to get a, a, a thought across to uh, the audience, to whomever. But for it to be so skillfully intertwined into something that, the as, as I mentioned before, when I watched this the first time, I was of the basest social knowledge and, and, and the ability to form any sort of coherent uh, social uh, identity that I didn't even see it at the time. What I saw was these kind of broy guys crafting a narrative, which includes, you know, some horrific uh, murder and rape and just horrible things, horrible things. And they are able to, they don't, they don't make it. And uh, the, but their, their message is still going to be finding its way, or at least trying to find its way into the narrative of everyday society. And that's just so incredibly powerful and interesting to me, uh, to see this and see this so expertly, uh, woven into a raunchy horror movie. Uh, to be as blunt as possible. So it creates this whole found footage thing, but they forget about it until uh, 20 odd years later when Blair Witch comes out. And that's a, a whole story unto itself. With the addition of the animal cruelty-free version of the film, this is in an entirely accessible movie. It's disgusting and it's gross. And if you are not prepared to see these horrors, then obviously don't watch this movie. However, if your holdup is the animal cruelty, you can get around it. The addition of that separate cut, if you want to call it that, uh, I think by um, Grindhouse was in a, a very smart addition to the release because it will get to a wider audience that doesn't want to see that, but does want to see the movie. Because again, it is an incredibly good movie. It, it tells a very important story of these people that want to create the exact thing that they're trying to find. Even if it comes down to destroying a village and raping a woman, which is also very common in Italian uh, cannibal films. Anyways, sorry, off track. There's a whole like a history, like a, um, a revisionism of, of history where you can see it happening in which these are um, just people that are creating the offense that they're trying to prove is offensive. And it's, it's very subversive and it's very intense and it's very interesting. And it's one of the better underlying stories 
in a horror film. It's one of the most interesting story-wise uh, horror film that I would ever try and tell anybody to watch. It really is a sight to behold, and this is the ultimate version of the film. There's two things that I still need to talk about when it comes to Cannibal Holocaust. We're running a little bit long, and I'm sorry. As the back suggested, once this was shown in Rome, it was immediately seized, and the director and producers were issued summons to appear in court because they were being charged with actually murdering the actors. That's how realistic this film is. They literally thought they killed people to make it. It was a snuff film. And uh, Deodato will tell in his interviews that he convinced the actors to hide until the film was released. I don't know if he's telling uh, tall tales there or if they were just, they weren't popular actors. They were probably stage actors that he found and offered roles to. I had never seen him before. I'm not a well-versed Italian film historian, uh, but so they could be incredibly famous, and I'm just not aware of them. However, for whatever reason, they there was not more upheaval in Italy when this comes comes out, aside from the uh, government telling them that they had to produce the people or they would be charged with murder. So producing the people was not a problem. They just called him up and said, "Hey, I need you to get to need you to get to Rome. Uh, I'm in a bit of a bind, and I need you to come and tell people." that you are not dead. And they did that and everything was fine. But still, the picture didn't do that well in Italy, but with midnight movies, it was huge in America. And they kind of go over this in the interview, so I don't really want to hit it too hard. But in uh, Japan as well, it was enormous. And, you know, this is some very, very important and high-quality Italian cannibal film. Again, uh, quality is to the viewer's choice. The second thing that would be criminal not to mention is the soundtrack by uh, Riz Ortolani. And it is it is the thing that makes this movie perfect. It can be listened to and enjoyed completely separate from this film. And you would not think about it listening to many of the tracks that it was the backing sound of one of the most grotesque and horrifying films ever created. It is a masterpiece of scoring. Uh, it was one of the very first uh, soundtracks I picked up when I started to regain interest in picking up physical uh, audio, uh, specifically on vinyl, and it sounds tremendous. I think it was from Mondo um, or Waxwork, one of the two. And it is just incredible because it's so different from the movie that when you put them both together, it, it elevates it beyond just some trashy horror movie. So... That is Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust, these two releases from uh, Grindhouse Releasing. I would absolutely tell you uh, to order Cannibal Holocaust. It is, in my opinion, a masterpiece. Um, Cannibal Ferox, it is a film that is well made but goes too far and is just a little too gross for even me. So, in the off chance that you listen to this and you think that would be a dynamite double feature. I want to ruin my soul and watch these two cannibal films back to back. I would then offer you an option for a third film set in the Amazon that is about white explorers trying to find something that is not theirs and they succumb to the will of indigenous peoples and are forced to play sports. And that is DreamWorks Films, The Road to El Dorado. The legend of a lost city of gold and the two men brave enough to find it. 
I am Miguel. And I am Tulio. And they call us Miguel and Tulio. Seven! Your dice are loaded! I will give you the honor of a quick and painless death. Mm. But not with that. I'll bet we can make that. Two Pesetas says we can't. You're on! You lose. DreamWorks Pictures invites you... Holy shit! Oh, no! ...to join two friends on an incredible journey. We'll follow that trail. What trail? To the magnificent city of gold. El Dorado. Big smile, like you mean it. They actually think we're gods. Miguel and Tulio. The mighty and powerful gods. Hello. Now. You're going to need my help. What makes you think we need your help? Are you serious? They're bound for excitement. Yeah. Who's the guy? You the guy. Go. Romance. Mm -hmm. And danger. I know you are not God. You, you're not a god? Someday. Good. Featuring six new songs from Elton John and Tim Rice, the Oscar-winning team from The Lion King. The Road to El Dorado. It's an animated film with music by Elton John. It is magnificent. It truly is a work of art. And it is one of my favorite animated films. And it, after watching these two films, this will cleanse every bit of rancor and filth from your soul. The back, here, let me read this to you. Get ready for an exhilarating ride of a lifetime in DreamWorks Animation's The Road to El Dorado. Join Tulio and Miguel, their hilarious horse Altivo, as they set sail map in hand in search of a golden treasure. Upon landing on the shores of El Dorado, the legendary lost city of gold, this duo is are mistaken for gods and they are lavished with riches beyond their wildest dreams. As friendship, loyalty, and greed collide, our unlikely heroes must make a decision of their lives. Run off with the gold or face unseen risks and danger to save the people of El Dorado. Reuniting the Academy Award-winning musical team of The Lion King, Elton John and Tim Rice, and composer Hans Zimmer, this colorful, glittering film features captivating songs, memorable characters, and spectacular animation that will be treasured for all time. This specific disc um, is a making of The Road to El Dorado, the basics of animation, uh, the color script, Elton John, Someday After the Blue video, and a filmmaker's commentary. This was directed by Eric Bebo Bergman and Don Paul. This movie is just a piece of magic, and I would absolutely tell you to watch it. It's not on the Grindhouse releasing schedule, but that's okay. Even if you don't watch these two other cannibal films, if they're too far for you, absolutely watch The Road to El Dorado. It is a stone-cold masterpiece. It is beautiful, funny, witty. The music is incredible. You have Kevin Klein as Tulio. Miguel is Kenneth Branagh. Uh, che, played by Rosie Perez. It also includes Armand Desanti, Edward James Almos, 
Tobin Bell even has uh, a, uh, a voice in the part in here. And uh, Elton John is the narrator. It's just an incredible, incredible film and will detoxify you after watching six hours of horror films of, of, of cannibal, actually not six hours, five hours of cannibal films from Italy. It will make everything right again. It can heal and it can bring joy. And I think that above anything else is so important is just to be able to take some time away from the rigors, take some time away from the problems and enjoy something beautiful and uplifting and magic. And that is the road Dorado. So in this triple feature again, now that I've said all these moving words, uh, I will repeat these uh, cannibal films, uh, cannibal ferox, cannibal holocaust, and then detox with the road to El Dorado. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jason. This is the Film Ruminations podcast. So I want to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart uh, for coming and listening and being here with me. And I, again, want to say, reach out to me and uh, let's talk about this because these are difficult films and you might have some very strong opinions and ideas and I am very excited to hear about them because I might be wrong. I would be interested to find out why I'm wrong. So ladies, gentlemen, my name is Jason. This is the Film Urban Nations podcast. Again, thank you for listening.